Good morning, church. It is good to be with you and privileged to share with you as we continue our series in the book of Colossians. Um, I just want to tell you a little story. Um, as we get started, you can, you can let me know what you think of it later. But uh, most of you know I'm, I'm not that much of a fisherman. In fact, I've been here uh, five and a half years, and I have not gone fishing once. Uh, since I've been here, <clears throat> I'd like to change that. So if some of you are fishermen, then you can um, hook me up. I'd, that's really good, hook me up. Uh, you don't have to bait my hook, but if you've got the equipment, I'd love to go uh, sometime. But uh, I, I do know a little bit about fishermen, and, and this is what I kind of know about fishermen, is that every fisherman has a story. And they don't call them fish stories without a reason. They, they are for a reason. They say those things. It's, it's the one that got away. It's the one that flipped off the line just as I was getting it into the boat. It's the one that was just too big to fit in the icebox, and so I didn't have a heart to keep it because it would have spoiled before I got it home. It's the, uh, it's the one that was so big that uh, I didn't want to deplete the natural resources of my world around me by stealing the breeding stock of this fish, so I put it back in because that's the kind of person I am, and, and you know, those kind of things. So the, the, the kind of stories that get bigger and better every time you say them or hear them. Um, in fact, if you're not careful and you don't have a picture or you weren't there, you just have to be, beware, beware, because fish stories can be a lot like pastor stories. They're always bigger, badder, and worse than they were in reality. So... I acknowledge that, and it just happens. But in fact, I, I actually have a few fish stories of my own. Uh, in fact, I, I, did you know that I once caught a fish that was so bloated with another fish that it had just eaten that it could barely sink below the surface of the water and still wanted to hit my line? And this was a you know, big fish with a big fish inside of this one fish, you know, kind of the tail sticking out of his mouth, and it's still after my line. It's, it's just... There's an essence of gluttony in that. I don't know, but, but it's, it's just one of those crazy kind of things. In Texas, this was all happened in Texas because that's where I did all my fishing, but in Texas, I've caught these things. They call them black drum fish. I don't know if you've ever caught any of those. They're nice, big fish. I caught a 28-inch black drum in about 18 inches of water. I, I, oh, and the other part of that was I was almost a mile out from the coast, if you can believe that. So this, this, is, I mean, this is a good fish story, so... It's just kind of amazing kind of thing. I've also, I've also caught fish without any bait, and not using a net, by the way, or dynamite, either one. Uh, <laughs> by just by, at, at night in Texas, the, they have piers out there, and they have a light bulb over top of it, and, and the fish just are going like this underneath the light. And without any bait on it, just drop a hook in front of a fish, and bam, that thing just hits it, and you pull them in. And, and, and you have to be careful, because... You don't want to catch a little dinky one. Why would you want to catch a little dinky one? So you wait for a big one to swim by, and you drop your, drop your line right in front of it, and it hits it, and take, takes it. It's just one of those amazing kind of, kind of fishing experiences. And, and, you know, those are all fish stories. So you'll, you'll have to, uh, you can talk to me later, or maybe Norma, she'd be the better one to ask about what, what the reality of those stories are. But, it, it, you know, it's one of the problems with fish stories is that you just never know. You say, is that too good, too amazing to be true, or did it really happen? Because some of them are really true. And in my case, I'll just tell you all three of these 
stories are absolutely true. That all did happen. But, but you know, that's the way fish stories are. You never quite know, is this true or is this not? Is, you know, so you don't know. And, and, and today's passage of Scripture, the reason why I'm telling you fish stories is because today's passage of Scripture, to me, is like a fish story. It, it's just one of those things that's saying it's just too big, too far out there. Can this really possibly be true? I, I don't know. For weeks I've been reading this, and, and, and I, just, I just think this is either the biggest fish story ever told, or it's the most amazing account of God's love and grace and mercy in our lives. One or the other. It's just one or the other. I mean, I mean you, you've really got to have some chutzpah. You know, you know what chutzpah is? That's kind of a Yiddish word for kind of guts and uh, boldness, that kind of thing. And Paul really had to have some chutzpah to be able to say the things he says in this passage of Scripture and really expect us to believe it. It, it is just really out there. But, but let, me, let me just read it for you, and then you can kind of make a decision, and we're going to talk about it. But it's in Colossians chapter 1, beginning of verse 15, and, and, and we're going to talk about this, but you just think about it. Is this... Is this a fish story? Is this just too good to believe? This is what it says in verse 15. It says, he is the image, that is Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Uh, pretty amazing stuff, really. Uh, he, he's asking us to believe some incredible, outrageous claims about Jesus. Uh, these are the kinds of claims that, to be honest with you, they're, they're either so ridiculous that you just have to laugh and write them off, or so amazing and you, that you just have to cry because they're just so wonderful. It's just one or the other. Just, just think about what he's saying. And sometimes, you know, we've read this stuff. We, we've probably read this passage many times. You've, you've read the catechisms. You've read the Apostles' Creed. You've read our, our statements of belief and all that kind of stuff. You've, you've probably heard all that stuff. But, but, but this is part of where it all comes from. And he just nails this stuff down. And he, and he says several things. But the first thing he says is that God, who is invisible, is now made visible in the person of Jesus Christ. That, that's a pretty incredible kind of thing to just start out with because you see this God who we cannot see sent Jesus who we could see. We kind of like that. We get that. And in fact, lots of religions talk about God showing up in the lives of somebody else, that God you know, revealing himself to people and all that kind of stuff. But Paul is actually saying that, that this Jesus is not just someone you can see who has heard from God or seen God or that kind of thing. 
But this Jesus is actually God himself. This is really God himself. Now, now that's a little, that gets a little bit out there, but, but that is really one of the central core ideas of Christianity. Now, Jesus, in fact, is the one who makes the claim that he is God. You maybe uh, remember the story, uh, Jesus is interacting with his disciples and his disciples are trying to figure out what's going on. And, and, and finally, one of the disciples just says to him, Jesus, just show us the Father. Just show us the Father and, and we'll be fine. And Jesus says back to them in, in John 14, 9, says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. They're one and the same. They're one and the same. That's amazing kinds of things to say. So then, this invisible God is one and the same with Jesus Christ. That's a bit out there. And then he goes on. He said, Paul says, and, and Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn over all creation. That, that means that, that everything that ever was, before anything that ever was, Jesus was. Let's say Jesus is before all things. In fact, Jesus made all that there is. And, and Paul goes on to explain what this all means. This all is so big that Paul reminds us that it includes everything in heaven. How did you get that? Think about that. Everything in heaven. How, how big is heaven? That's big. I don't know. I don't know how you say that. It, it, it's all of our universe. It's all of the next universe. It's all of our galaxy and the next galaxy. And I don't even know enough astronomy to be able to explain what all that is. But it, it keeps on going until we can't go any further. And then it goes out beyond that. You get that? that that's what Paul's saying. That's crazy stuff. That God, Jesus, is the creator of all of that. He, he's the creator of everything in heaven. And he's the creator of everything on earth. Everything that there is. Everything, everything, just to clarify, everything that you can see and everything you can't see. That kind of covers your bases. Uh, you know, all the, all the teeny little molecules and particles, all, all, he, he made it all. That, that's, that's who this Jesus was. He is the firstborn over all creation. There are no, okay, he goes on. He said, there are no powers. There are no authorities. There are no rulers. There are no kingdoms that were not created by and for Jesus. You kind of get that? that, that I mean, that is way out there. Who, who believes this stuff? Really, I mean, all, all, all that's out there. It, it's crazy. It, it... And then he goes on. <laughs> he says, everything that was in the past, everything that's in the present, and by implication, the future, all of that is brought about by Jesus for his ends, and for his purposes. That's the big stuff and the small stuff, the invisible stuff and the visible stuff, the, the seemingly good stuff and the seemingly disastrous stuff, all the physical stuff, all the spiritual stuff, everything that there is, all of it, all of it is by and for Jesus. That seem a little out there? I mean, that, that's kind of crazy thinking. I mean, really, all of those things, that, that's all Jesus is, has a hand in all of that, made all of that stuff. Well, it gets worse. 
Because then he goes on, he says, not only did he make it all, not only was he before it all, and not only did he make it all, but that he holds it all together. He's saying to us, and this is crazy, he's saying to us that if it were not for Jesus, it all falls apart. Yeah? If it were not for Jesus, it all falls apart. You know, we sing the song, we sing, he's got the whole world in his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. Oh, we sing the song, or we used to sing the song, and it's a little kid's song, and we, and we sing it to kids, and we say it to kids, and we think, well, that's a nice, sweet thing to say to kids, but... But Paul isn't saying this is just a nice, sweet thing we say to kids. He's literally saying, Jesus holds it all together. Without him, it all falls apart. That's crazy. Maybe. See, John chapter 19, verses 10, 11. Jesus is on trial. Jesus is on trial in in front of Pilate, and, and Pilate has this crazy kind of thing going on because Pilate's asking him questions and and Jesus isn't responding to him. And then Pilate says these really funny, amazing words. He says, don't you know? That's a good, he must have been a Canadian or something. Don't you know? Don't you know that I have power and authority to give you life or to crucify you? Don't you know? And then Jesus says these kind of amazing words. He says, Don't you know? You have no power. There is no power and there is no authority and you don't have any of that but for the fact that it was given to you. Don't you know? He's saying, no, you don't get it. You think you're in power. You think you have authority. You think you have all of this. But really, it is God that has all of that. Don't you know? In fact, Romans chapter 13, verse 1 Paul's writing again, and he says, there is no power, there's no authority except that which God has established. There there, there is this big, crazy idea. I mean, do you understand? This This is radical, out there kind of thinking. Really, that God holds all of that stuff together, that that God is working and moving in the midst of all of that stuff? What are you saying? And then in case we didn't get it, in case we think, well, that's just the world out there. That's all those people out there. But, you know, something different. He says, not only is it all that world out there, it's the church. That Jesus is the head of the church. He's the firstborn among the dead. Those that have been raised to life, never to die again. Those who have embraced eternity. He is the firstborn of all of those so that in all things he might have the supremacy. I love the book of Hebrews. If you've never read the book of Hebrews, you need to read the book of Hebrews because because a vast portion of the book of Hebrews is just based on this idea of trying to explain why and how Jesus has a supremacy in all things. Jesus is bigger and better than all the angels. We went through kind of an angel fad. We're not the first people to have ever done that. (laughs) But the author of Hebrews is saying, no, angels are fine. But in comparison, Jesus is all there is. Angels don't stack up to that kind of stuff. He says he's greater than the prophets. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Aaron and all the priests. He's the greatest sacrifice. He's the one who makes intercession for us. There is no one like Jesus. And that's the reality, according to Paul here. 
You know, I'm a good Nazarene, and I, I you know, I'm, I am what I am. But I got to tell you, there is no general superintendent. <laughs> There's no pastor that stacks up. There's no, Billy Graham doesn't stack up. Mother Teresa doesn't stack up. There's no pope that ever has or ever will stack up. There is, there is nobody in comparison to Jesus that even comes close. It doesn't matter who you think of in, in the history of Christianity, there is no one like Jesus. That, that's at least what Paul is saying. And then just in case you missed it, he says it all one more time. Jesus has all the fullness of God. Just in case you missed it. Everything that God is, Jesus is, he says. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, but th that's pretty outrageous, really. I, th that's kind of craziness. You, you just think, can we really believe that stuff? Uh, you know, I don't know. We, we've embraced that, and Christianity has historically embraced that. So, yes, I guess we can. But, but that's a stumbling block for some. It's just too much. It's too far out there. It's too crazy. It's too radical a concept to think that God has made all this stuff, holds it all together, has done all this stuff, that Jesus is God. I mean, that's not. But then he begins to talk about some outrageous claims about God's activity. Hmm. And let me tell you, this is kind of crazy. Just Paul is telling them that, that, that the reason God sent this Jesus is because he wanted to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through Jesus. Reconcile. I kind of looked that one up because I thought that was kind of interesting. I, and, and several definitions. It's not, you know, nothing particularly biblical about any of these, but just the definition of, of, of reconcile is the first thing you say is to reconcile is to settle one's differences, uh, to make peace, to make up. Another defi definition I found is says it, it, reconciliation it, is to find a way of making two different ideas or facts or something like that to exist or be true at the same time. To reconcile is, is to cause people or groups to become friendly again after an argument. Yeah, we've had a conflict. There has been a separation. And somehow or another, reconciliation brings us back together. I kind of like the idea of an accounting term. They use that in accounting. It, it's to make one account consistent with another. And this is typically done with this kind of idea about transactions where you, you've written a check or you've you paid for something, but it hasn't cleared the bank yet, and so they reconcile accounts between them. Uh, if you understand what that means, please, I need to talk to you because we're looking for a financial secretary, and uh, we need to understand that. But, but you kind of get the basic idea that there are accounts that are, have to be reconciled so that the, the, it balances at the end. And, that, and, and he's saying God is somehow reconciling us to himself. And that's what God's doing. That's why he did all of this. He's done that to reconcile to us to himself. He's done that so that we could be presented holy in his sight. He's done that so that we could be without, without blemish and free from accusation. Some of the songs we sang this morning talk about those things. So, so this invisible God sent Jesus 
in his fullness to be his visible presence, to dwell among us, to live among us, to suffer, to shed his blood, to die, that somehow we might have our account sheet reconciled with God. But my question is, are we seriously supposed to believe that? Or is that a fish story? I mean, really, you think about this. This God, who is the creator and sustainer of all things, now, just picture this, as far out as you can think in the universe. I, I just think about that. How far? Uh, I can't even describe this. This, this is God who has created all things. I mean, if, if you bought the first part, <laughs> which is a step, but if you bought the first part, that, that he's, he created all things, that as far out as you can see, as any telescope can see, and beyond, God created all of that, and that God sustains it by the very act of his will, sustains all of those things. The planets rotate where they rotate and do what they do, all because God is directing that somehow, that's all happening. If we can believe all that, then we're supposed to believe that this God who has done all that and is doing all of that really cares about us, who in comparison, I can't even make it small enough to squeeze my fingers together to say that's how significant we are in the grand scheme of creation of all this other stuff. I mean, we're, we're like just a particle of dust in comparison to all this great creation. And somehow we're supposed to believe that God cares that much for us that he would come to earth himself, suffer and die and do all of this stuff for us, that he could reconcile us, our accounts. That's either the most outrageous thought that anyone has ever tried to sell us, or it's the most amazing demonstration of God's love that we could ever experience. It's just one or the other. It, it, it's just either the stupidest thing or, or it's the most amazing truth you'll ever encounter. Just one or the other. See, I, I just had this problem. I, I'm trying to read this as if I was just reading it for the first time. And, 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 and in that light, I, I was just beginning to get my head around this idea that, that Jesus and God you know, have this amazing love for us and that he's, he's done all this, as, as outrageous as it is, he's done all this because he loves us and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then I began to realize that he was saying some pretty outrageous things about me in the process. I, I, I can be a little slow and I recognize I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but, but it, it, it began to sink into me that if God was reconciling us to himself through Jesus Christ, then something had to be out of balance in my life. I wasn't certain I liked that idea. You, you see, you reconcile accounts because they don't balance. You reconcile the stuff because somehow they're not working out at the bottom line. It's, it's like God is the banker and he's telling me that I've overdrawn my account. I've spent too much money. I've gone out there and I'm, I'm in over my head. And, he, and the banker is saying to me, you know, you got an issue here, but we can make it right. 
He's telling me that there's some kind of battle going on in my life. He's telling me that there's some kind of brokenness in my life. And then I, then I get to verse 21, and I begin to think, really, you're going to talk like that about me? Well, he is. Verse 21 says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. I begin to think, are you seriously trying to tell me that I'm evil? Are you seriously trying to tell me that, that it's my evil behavior? That I'm somehow tarnished and stained and open to accusations? I was just beginning to like this stuff. But then I begin to think there's a lot of trash talking going on here. God's talking smack in my life, and I'm not certain that I like that. Because I'm a nice guy, right? Isn't that what we'd all say? I'm a nice guy. Most of us, we'd all say that. I work hard. I'm as honest as the next guy, maybe a little more, or at least as honest as I need to be. I don't hurt anybody, most of the time, and not intentionally anyway, most of the time. I try to be kind. I try to have a good attitude, unless it's deserved, and then do what you want. I do nice things for other people. I even go to church once in a while, when I can. And now you want to talk smack about me? I'm not certain I like that. But I'm back one more time to the same thing. This is the most outrageous, ridiculous, offensive, Thing that anybody has ever said. Or maybe it speaks a little close to home. Maybe I am that guy. I had somebody explain it to me once like this. Uh, he, he said, you just have to kind of think about yourself uh, on a continuum of, of righteousness, if you will. And, and at the top, you have this idea of God. God is up here, and, and, and we, kinda, we can somehow get our heads around the idea that God is righteous and God is pure and holy and just and all that kind of stuff. We're up here, and we've got that. And on this continuum, you have this line of continuum, and down at the bottom, you, you've got, I don't know who you put down there, just the worst people you can think of. We've got axe murderers, and we've got abusers, and, and we've got serial killers, and I, I don't know. Who, I don't know who you'd put down there. You just fill in the blank there, put in whoever you want. These are the... You know, I don't know, just the bottom of the barrel. On the righteousness continuum, anyway, let's just say that. God, God still cares for those people. They're not lost completely. They're, they can still respond. But I mean, on a continuum, you kind of do that. And you say, God's at the top. All these other people are down here. And then you begin to think about, where do I fall? Where do I fall in that continuum? I don't know. And, and, and you think about, where do all the people of life and world fall? So you think about... Uh, who's, who's a really, uh, somebody that you just say, boy, that person's really a spiritual giant. They've got it together. Who, who would that be for you? Anybody like that you just say, this person's like, wow. Mother Teresa. So Mother Teresa's one, and, and where would you put Mother Teresa? You kind of put her up pretty high up there. So Mother Teresa's up there. Who, who else? No, who's somebody else that you just say, this person is like, wow. What did, Billy Graham. <laughs> We put Billy Graham. Okay, Billy Graham. Would you put Billy Graham above or below Mother Teresa? 
Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we've got half, half of you think it's... Okay, so I, I don't know. I, I think Mother Teresa's pretty far up there. So I, I think we better put Billy Graham just a little below Mother Teresa. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll, 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 we can talk to me later about that. So, you know, you kind of you get that idea. So the, those are a couple of people that you'd say, okay, on this continuum, they'd be pretty far up, up this ladder. But you say, okay, well, then you have to ask the question, where do I fall? Where would I fall on that continuum? And I'll just tell you, this is where I fall, that I would certainly be below Mother Teresa and certainly be below uh, Billy Graham. I I'm, I'm, I'm don't have any illusions of that. I, I'd be down further down the, the pile there. <laughs> That's a little low, I think. Come on, give me a break. Raise me up a little. I don't know. But and then, then you have to ask yourself, where, where would you put yourself? That, that's, you know, you've, you've got Mother Teresa and you've got Billy Graham and you've got your pastor there. You know, I, I should have had Beverly there. Where would you put Beverly? She'd probably rank up a little higher than I would be. But, you know, where would you put yourself on that continuum? And you kind of have to find that spot where you'd say, would, I be, would my righteousness be greater than that of Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or somebody? I don't know. Probably not. I hate to burst your bubble, but... <laughs> But the funny thing is that, that all of these people recognize that there is a gap, even the best of them, and, and these would be kind of like the best of the best, right? Even the best of us would all recognize that there's a gap between our very best and who God is, right? We, we'd all have to acknowledge that. And I don't care how good you are, I don't care how many times you go down and, you know, do whatever you do and how often you go to church, it's just, you know, there, there's just a gap. All of them have a gap. And, and, if you, and if you ask these people, if you ask Mother Teresa, or you ask Billy Graham, or you ask me, we'd all say, you know, there, there is, there's a gap there, but, and the gap has to be dealt with. And we say, how do you deal with the gap? And, and the way we deal with the gap is simply this, is that Jesus Christ is our gap. He's reconciled our balance sheet. He's filled in the gap for us so that when God looks on us, he doesn't see us, but he sees Jesus Christ. And, and, and that becomes the difference between them. That, that's an amazingly enlightened kind of, kind of thing. And so, I don't know. I, I, I end up here, and I, I, where I get to all this is I say that this stuff that we've been reading here in Colossians it, it, it's so far out there that, that it is either the whopper of all whoppers of all whopper whoppers of fish stories. And seriously, you would be a crazy person. You'd be a crazy person to follow it. It's either that kind of story. It's either so far out there that you'd be crazy to think about following that. Or it's the gospel message that Jesus has proclaimed that is our only hope. It's just one or the other. Trying to walk in the middle between them, it's just tough to do that. It's kind of one or the other. You have to kind of say either, either Jesus really is God himself or is not. And you either have to say God really does love us so much that he sent... He sent Jesus to bring reconciliation and peace to our lives, or, or he didn't. It. And, and we either have to buy in to say, I really do need this, because my righteousness doesn't reach that of God's. I really do need this. Or you go on and say, well, I don't. 
<laughs> I'm pretty good. See, it's either true or it's not true. It's either an outright crazy whopper of a story or it's truth. And in that context, there's just really, I think, three responses that we can have to it. You either reject it as being ridiculous. And I tell you, the world around you, people have rejected it big time. You just say, that's too crazy, that's too far out there, I don't buy it, I don't believe it, I'm not going down there, and you reject it. Can I just say this to you? If maybe you've thought, I'm going to just reject this stuff, God hasn't given up on you. <laughs> you, you, may, you may choose not to go God's direction, but God is still after you. That's just the nature of who God is. So you either reject it, or you say, I, I'm going to seriously think about it. That's the second response. I, something, something in this gospel message, when Paul says, you know, this is the message, this is the gospel message that's being proclaimed, something in that gospel message is getting a hold of me. Either, either the idea of how big God is and that Jesus himself is God, something about all that's kind of stirring your heart, or, or maybe the fact that, that, that God came and sent Jesus, that, that we could find peace with him and be reconciled with God. Maybe that's stirring your heart, or, or maybe it's like with me. I, I finally woke up one day and said, you know, I'm not who I thought I was. <laughs> I've been living this one way on the outside, but I'm really somebody else on the inside, and, and that began to stir my heart, and I couldn't get away from that. That's okay. Because we're on a journey, and, and, and we're all kind of on this journey to bringing us to a place where we finally say, yeah, I get it, I buy it, yes, <laughs> I'm in. And if you're there, that's okay. You know, read some more books, hang out with people who are following Jesus. Go, just watch how this stuff plays out in their lives. That's okay. It's okay to be on that spot. Just keep seeking and listening to what God wants to say to you. But my prayer is that, is that one day you'll come to a place where you say, yes, I embrace this message. I embrace this gospel. I, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that God sent Jesus to die for us, that, that we could be reconciled and have peace with God. And, and I am that guy. I am that guy, and I embrace the gospel. This morning, I, I, I want to I do something equally radical and crazy like these guys. I, I want to invite you to embrace the gospel. Now, I kind of get it that most of us have, have probably embraced the gospel message. We, we, we've been there. We've gone there. But, but you may be here today, and... and and maybe you're just, you're listening to it. You've heard it. You've thought about it. But maybe today's the day when you say, I embrace this gospel. I embrace this God who is the creator of all things, the sustainer of it, the one who holds it together. I embrace the fact that Jesus is God and that he came to die for me, that I might have peace with God and that I am that guy. I'm the guy that needs it. I want to invite you to embrace that. In a minute, I'm going to pray, and I'm, I'm going to just kind of pray a prayer of just thankfulness to God. And then I'm going to invite you to do something. I'm going to invite you to, 
to come forward. And, and we're not going to do any kneeling altar. There will be several pastors up here. And, and I want you to, to just do this. If, if you've never really invited Jesus Christ into your life, if you've never really embraced this gospel message, today's the day for you. I want you to come up to one of the pastors that will be standing up here in the front. And I just want you to look him in the eye and say, I want to embrace the gospel today. That's essentially saying, when you say that, you've just prayed a prayer. I want to embrace the gospel today. That's saying, I recognize God, who God is, that Jesus and God are one, that Jesus died for me, that I might have peace with God, that I'm the guy, I need it. They're, they're going to just greet you. They're going to shake your hand. They're going to give you a hug. They're, they may pray for you. And they're going to give you a little card that will just tell you kind of how to continue on in this. It is a radical, radical message, this gospel business. With all kinds of stuff. And you know what? We're not going to understand it all. I'm just telling you that. If you wait until you say, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to embrace it when I understand it all. Guess what? If you could understand it all, you'd be God. <laughs> and burst your bubble again, you ain't God. But we can understand it enough to know, I feel a calling in my life, something in my heart, I need to embrace this. If that's you today, we're going to give you a chance to say yes. Pray with me. Father, into your hands, do we give ourselves? I really don't get it. It's, it's a, an outrageous claim to think that Jesus, God himself, he, that you created all things, you sustain all things, that there is nothing that exists, no power, no authority, no, nothing visible or invisible anything that was or will be that doesn't have your hand on it. And that this big God would actually come and care enough about people the likes of me <laughs> that you come and bring reconciliation, peace through your death. Lord, that's the gospel. And it's crazy radical. It's the gospel. And you invite us to embrace it, to live within it. So today, Lord, I, I pray for my people. They're here, and Lord, uh, I know many of them and where they stand with you, but Lord, there may be some here that have just been hanging around the edges, and they've kind of been in that middle road. They've just been seeking things out and checking it out. But maybe today's that day when they just say, I embrace the gospel for me. Lord, would you give them courage today? No big embarrassment, no big deal. Just to walk to the front and shake the hand of a pastor and say, I embrace it. I embrace the gospel for me today. Lord, give them boldness to do that. For those, Lord, that are in the journey, continue to speak. For those that 
that have or are trying to just say, no, I don't need any of this. Lord, don't give up on them. Just keep, keep nudging them. Keep after them. For Lord, we trust in you. You are the creator, sustainer, savior of this world. And we live in your peace. We pray in Jesus' name.